This is God's holy and infallible word. Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So far, God's word tonight. Uh, this, these seven verses uh, throughout history have been some of the most studied of all the verses in God's Word, and, and they give, they've, they've caused much discussion related to government, obviously, and political thought. Uh, we're not going, going to be able to get at everything in these seven verses and we're not going to be able to approach and discuss all the, the challenging issues that come with us. Uh, but I think we, we can get a, a good look together. Um, we're moving in the book of Romans, excuse me, from, we've moved from sin, subject of sin, especially chapters 1 through 3, salvation, chapters 4 through 11, to now service. Chapters 12 through 16, or guilt, grace, gratitude could be another way to look at the outline of Romans. And if that sounds familiar to you, and it probably does because I've said it before when we studied Romans, it's because the, also because the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism decided to use the outline of the book of Romans to structure their catechism. Much of chapter 12 the start of the third section, focused on how Christians live in gratitude by relating to other Christians in the church and then extending to other people in general. And now Paul has moved from that to talk about grateful living in terms of the believer's relationship to the government. Uh, But it gets very different from chapter 12 because if, if you remember, a lot of chapter 12 was choppy, a verse or even half verse on this or that topic. And now this is a big section, seven whole verses on one topic. Paul clearly wants to spend a little more time and take his time a bit on this, on the governing authorities. And we might guess a little bit why he wants to do that and needs to do that. One, uh, Christians were living in the Roman Empire 
in his day. And wherever you went, certainly in Rome, the capital city where Paul sent this letter, but wherever you went in the empire, in Jerusalem, in those, uh, in mod- what's modern day Turkey and the, the main cities there, um, in Greece and so on, there were Roman soldiers all around. So people dealt with or had to deal with their relationship to the government all the time, and that there was that imperial presence everywhere. We could guess another reason that that Paul spends a little more time and has more of a sustained argument on this topic, and that's because many of the first Christians, including himself, were Jews. And in Old Testament times, things worked very different than in New Testament times as far as the relationship goes between church and state. In Old Testament times, for much of the Old Testament, uh, church and state were in a sense almost the same, or we might better say that they overlapped in a way that's different, that was different than the early church times. Up until the book of Exodus, church and state did not overlap. Um, But then God called and created the nation of Israel where church and state sort of merged or I think maybe better overlapped uh, for God's sovereign purposes in order to govern, we might say, the coming of his son, the promised Messiah in the New Testament. And then when, when Jesus the Messiah came, he was born in a different setting than uh, the, the people, the Jews, Jewish Christians uh, were used to over hundreds of years. Uh, and that was when the Roman Empire was in charge over the whole Mediterranean area, including Israel. And so this relating to the state and government was different than it had been, and it, and it was a challenge, and it is today too. How should we approach government? Uh, for many Christians, we might uh, put the question negatively, which is how I did it in the bulletin and the sermon title. How, how, should, we be, how should we put up with government? And uh, maybe you've heard of this guy uh, a, a man by the name of Will Rogers certainly would have put it negatively. Will Rogers was a cowboy. He was part Cherokee Indian. He was an entertainer, and he was an observer of the American scene. And from December 1922 until he died in 1935, he wrote a column about anything that caught his interest in the in newspaper, especially government politics, uh, the state of the nation. Could you, could I, I'm just curious, have any of you heard of this particular Will Rogers? I would think so, yeah. So many of the statements he made in this column 80 years ago seem just as timely today. I want to share a few of them. This is Will Rogers from that column where he made these observations about the government politics. He says in one, I love a dog. He does nothing for political reasons. Congress is so strange. A man gets up to speak and says nothing. Nobody listens, and then everybody disagrees. 
This is pretty good. I really can't see any advantage of having one of your party in as president. I'd much rather be able to criticize a man than have to apologize for him all the time. It's no disgrace not to be able to run a country nowadays, but it is a disgrace to keep on trying when you know you can't. It looks to me like any man that wants to be president in times like these lacks something. Last year we said things can't go on like this, and they didn't. They got worse. Then he reflects, he says, the money we spend on government, and it's not a bit better than the government that we got for one-third the money 20 years ago. And, And I think these sort of statements resonate, and we have to be honest, this cynicism is the way most of us typically tend to think about government. Uh, Before digging into the text, we should realize that Paul is not dealing here with big picture church-state questions. Uh, But it might be helpful to consider that big picture just real quickly. John Stott lays out four general models of how the church and the state generally relate. Um, There are variations of these, but in general, he lists four big models that I I think are helpful. One is Erastianism, named after Erastus, where the state controls the church. And there have been examples of that in history, of course. Uh, Second, he gives is theocracy, where the church controls the state. Third, Constantinianism, that's named after the first Christian uh, emperor about in the early 300s. Um, we could call that a compromise in which the state favors the church. And sometimes what happens or has happened in history in that situation, sometimes the church uh, will adjust its teaching or practice, make accommodations to even the truth of God's word to preserve this favored and special status it has in society because. Um, the government favors the church. And then the fourth, uh, we could call a partnership or sphere sovereignty. Um, Church and state recognize each other. They each have distinct God-given responsibilities in society. Um, Sometimes those spheres can collide. And that fourth and final model, you probably would have guessed, seems to be the most compatible with the direction Uh, the New Testament gives us. But our text is especially about how individual Christians relate to government, regardless of those four models in different places and times Christians have lived. Um, As some of these ideas that that come up later as the sermon goes on, it came from a, a commentary by Reverend Tim Keller on Romans. 13, and I found him among the commentaries I read especially helpful. So I gave that big question to the text, how do we put up with government? And I want to answer that big question by asking a few other questions of the text. Um, So the big question is, how are we to submit to the governing authorities Um, The first question we're going to ask is, why? Why do we 
Christians as Paul begins and summarizes his paragraph. Why do we Christians submit? Well, I think in our verses there are a number of reasons we submit that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us. First, we submit because it's right. It's the right thing to do. Verse 1 says there is no authority that except that which God has established. In other words, those who are in authority are in their positions because of the Lord and his providential control of history. God set things up this way. And so it's right to submit. It's always right to submit to God's moral order, right? Christians not only submit because it's right, according to our text, but also because it's wise. Verses 3 and 4, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, for he is God's servant to do you good. Governments are needed to hold people accountable, to live in a way that makes it possible for societies to live together. Without government, without laws, society would be impossible to live in. Fear that Paul talks about, that threat of punishment is necessary given our corrupt and selfish human nature. And so a system of government is a wise is wise. Uh, even the rule of a dictator like Saddam Hussein in Iraq years ago allowed freedom of religion and was better in some ways for Christians, in many ways, than, Christ, than Muslim extremists tearing up the country and having no government and no rule of law whatsoever. Bearing the sword that Paul talks about is one example of this wisdom, and it refers to the power of the government to punish those who do wrong, whether with fines, imprisonment, even death. And so it's wise to submit for the sake of the social order. If everyone had the power of the sword, it would be chaos. We submit because it's right, because it's wise, and because it's fair. And I'm, there's this reference in verses 6 and 7 to taxes. Taxes pay for the salaries of public servants who give their full time to governing. And it's only fair that they get paid if that's their full-time work. And also, you think of infrastructure costs like roads and bridges, emergency services, uh, police, military that we all benefit from. It's only fair that if we benefit from all of this that we contribute. And we can talk for a long time about taxes, and there's no doubt uh, taxes and money we pay to the government at the local levels, uh, federal, can be abused, and there can be and is corruption. But almost everyone agrees that the government does have certain responsibilities in society that must be paid for. A second question to ask as we look at this text that naturally follows this one, do we submit in everything? Paul seems at first glance when we read through this text to be speaking in absolute terms. But when we look a little more carefully, we find that we're not called to submit in everything always. 
Verses 7 and 3 and 4 show that. Um, And the first reason I want to start with verse 7. Give everyone what you owe him, including taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. And, And that sounds like, it reminds us of what Jesus said when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And Paul very well could have been thinking of this. It it resonates so much with with what Jesus said. And what Jesus was doing with that statement was correcting a common conception of the state in his day, and that is that the king or the emperor was a deity of sorts, or at least had divine authority. And, And so he's teaching, and so is Paul in Romans, that the ruler has limited authority. He's saying yes to paying the emperor taxes. That's in his realm of authority. But no to paying him worship. That goes too far. That's God's area. Believers in the early church clearly lived with an authority higher than and greater than the Roman state. And as time went on, uh, once the authorities figured this out, they started persecuting the Christians. The Christians got in trouble. And, and so what, what this means is we don't submit if the governing authority goes beyond the scope of what his or her power should be. There's another reason, and this is from verses 3 and 4, to believe that Christians should not submit in everything absolutely, no matter what, uh, just because God has put the governing authorities in their positions of power. In those verses it said, Rulers hold no terror for those who do right. He is God's servant to do you good. And in that word servant is the hint. The civil authority is God's servant. And that's key because that implies a responsibility to operate under God's moral authority. No servant ever is free to do what he or she wishes. Um, A really famous animated movie from the 1990s, The Lion King, gets at this idea of, of ruling. Simba, who's the young cub in the movie, Uh, He's the son of the king, Mufasa. He says, I thought being a king meant you can do whatever you want. And his father, King Mufasa, says, there's more to being a king than that. It's not doing whatever you want. You're serving uh, the people, and especially you're serving God. Uh, So that's, again, a sign of, of a limited authority. If we look beyond Romans 13, it gets even clearer that Christians, as strong as Paul's words are, Christians should not always submit to the governing authority. In Acts 5.29, when Peter is told by the Jewish authorities to stop preaching about Christ and his resurrection, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. God rather than the Jewish authorities. In other words, if the state commands... The government commands what God forbids, or if the state forbids what God commands us to do, we've got to follow God's will, not the government, not the state, not the authorities. Our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. 
Many believers, uh, of course, during the Holocaust of World War II went against the Nazis who came to be in charge of, of various countries. Uh, Sophia, who's in fifth grade, my daughter, is learning about this as she does a project on, uh, on Corrie ten Boom. Corey's family and many others, like my grandma Post's family, hid and protected Jews against the will of the authorities uh, because those authorities were not functioning as God's servants and they were not doing good. They were doing wrong. And many Christians and others too stood up for what was good and right in the midst of that, that evil reign and ruling. We have an example that's very clear from the Old Testament on not submitting always to, if you think of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The friends were commanded to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's great image, but they didn't because they worshiped God, a higher authority, not an idol. Daniel disobeyed the command not to pray to the Lord, and he did pray to the Lord anyway, because he had a higher allegiance. One more final question uh, tonight. How then do we live in relation to the government? How then are we to live? And again, I'm not, we're, we're not going to solve all the thorny problems tonight, but these are, are general thoughts that we can get from our text. One there's going to be three of these how, of how we live. One, we submit. We submit. This is Paul's strong emphasis in our text. Paul has also taught in his writings to the churches that Christians are citizens of heaven. And just a little bit later in this chapter, Verses 11 through 14, he talks about this age passing away. Well, that could have caused an extreme reaction among early believers. They might have thought and said, since we're reigning with Christ, since we're part of his kingdom, uh, we can reject all earthly authority. This age is passing away anyway. In the midst of that possible choice that early Christians and later Christians could make, Romans 13 makes crystal clear that God didn't want Christians to live like that, and he doesn't. Now, the reality is that this age has not yet passed away, and God is at work, of course, and especially through his church and his people, but also by what we call common grace in many other ways in society and the world, including through governments that he has established. Paul's strong emphasis on submission means uh, we respect those in authority. And, you know, that respect seems like it's been lacking in recent years. And that might be an understatement. And so we ask ourselves in light of this text, is it right to trash our leaders? Which is really what I think we do. Whoever, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican like we have now, 
there are those on the other side of, of the aisle, so to speak, who trash our leaders. And there are many citizens who trash our leaders with their attitudes, with their words, their casual conversation. Paul is, is writing under a, a government of, of, of totally pagan leaders who were in charge. In the Roman Empire at that time, there, there wasn't an ounce of, of, of Christian value among those pagan leaders. And nowhere do we see in inspired scripture that he speaks ill of them at all. You know, should Christians protest the government? Should Christians have marches? And, and those are among the tough questions and thorny questions whose answers are not always obvious. And that's why we add another thought. We submit... You notice Paul also uses that word conscience. <clears throat> Second, we submit according to conscience. And this, this means we also are called to evaluate government and be critical at times. Government has its limits. It does not have absolute power. It's under God. And so Caesar, in a sense, is called to mind his own business. And, and, and be involved in his own area of authority, not encroach on, on places he doesn't belong and the government doesn't belong. Uh, for, the, for the Christian, of course, our conscience is being formed by God's word and spirit who lives within us. And so if the, the government requires us to violate our conscience, uh, like that command uh, of, that Daniel heard about not being able to pray to his God, well, then we shouldn't obey. We need to do what's right and good and according to God's will. Well, an interesting and almost positive wrinkle in this for us in the United States is that we live in a, in a representative democracy, a republic. And so we can vote our conscience in the, in the context of the government we have. And that's... That's unlike in Paul's day where the government had drifted so far from its early days as a republic and it became eventually an empire where the emperor ruled overall, basically all authority was in him. People had no say whatsoever in, in electing officials and so forth. One more thought of how we live then. Uh, we submit we submit according to our conscience, as Paul says. And finally, we submit with heartfelt sincerity. It's not just a matter of begrudgingly complying with the laws of the land with a huff, but to do so in a respectful and honoring manner, as verse 7 shows. And this comes out of the fifth commandment, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, God's will there is of honoring and loving and being loyal to our parents. And that extends, he says, or the catechism says, to all those in authority over us. And so that means we respect our teachers, our boss, our government leaders, elders in the church, for, as the catechism says, through them, God chooses to rule us. I really think that submission 
from the heart, not just outwardly, includes sincerely praying for the success of those in authority over us, which is the opposite of the typical criticism we see in our day. The office is greater than the imperfect people who are fulfilling the office, whether we're talking about moms and dads, government leaders, teachers. We let God be the judge. And let's not be mistaken, those in leadership, like those in government, have a special responsibility to fulfill their office in a God-honoring way. And so God will judge where that's not done. As for us, we're not called to judge. God is the judge. We submit from the heart where we're not being told to go against God's will. And so how do we put up with government? Well, in a sense, we put them up where God has placed them. Uh, No higher, certainly, and certainly no lower. 